Welcome to the Gov Innovator Podcast. I'm Andy Feldman. Our focus today is insights about the process of building evidence on important policy topics, drawing from the experience of HUD, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. Our guest is Deputy Assistant Secretary Kelvin Johnson. Here's a clip. You know, I've grown fond of using administrative data um, as a starting point for evidence building. It's low cost, um, and in many cases, it just means finding partners in other agencies that are willing to uh, share their data and actually kind of understand what the priorities you know you have for using their data. And in many cases, um, there are shared priorities. How can public agencies build credible evidence about what works to help move the needle on important policy challenges? It's often a multi-step iterative process. A good example is the efforts across the past two administrations by HUD. In particular, their efforts to help support public housing residents to access higher education. To learn more, we're joined by Dr. Kelvin Johnson. He's the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Research, Evaluation, and Monitoring within PDNR. That's the Office for Policy Development and Research within HUD. He's a leader in the federal evidence community, and I'm glad to have him on the podcast. Kelvin, welcome. Hey, thank you. Thank you, Andy. Tell us more about the challenge that HUD was trying to tackle with the evidence-building efforts and initiatives that we're going to talk about today. Certainly. So there are positive benefits of attending college. However, low-income students attend college at a lower rate than their wealthier counterparts. Um, So we set out with an evidence-building agenda to identify factors associated with non-enrollment, and we decided that getting more HUD-assistant youth to complete the free application for financial student aid, the FAFSA, was the starting point. We realized that it was low-cost and light-touch. Now, the good news for us was that there was already rich evidence-building activities underway, though not necessarily targeting HUD-assisted youth. So existing evidence to draw on, for sure, although this was a new setting. Aside from learning about that previous research, what was the next step? Well, we started a process by first looking at our population and then digging into the data and then doing some data analysis. We, we wanted to know who amongst our young adult residents were actually moving on to post-secondary. So HUD has information on all of the residents living in its subsidized housing, and the Department of Education has information on all FAFSA submission. Um, So we entered into a memorandum of agreement to link our data to better understand the rate of FAFSA submission primarily amongst youth and young adults living in HUD-assisted housing. Now, from this data linkage, we were able to do analyses to determine where we should start the process of testing, learning, and adapting. From that data analysis, there were some really interesting findings. So baseline data analysis indicated that one in four uh, youth between the age of 17 and 20 submitted FAFSA, whereas one in three young adults between the age of 21 and 24 submitted FAFSA. And perhaps surprisingly, one in five adults between the age of 25 and 34 submitted a FAFSA. Knowing who the FAFSA applicants were and were not, HUD explored a number of evaluation options with the GSA's Office of Evaluation Sciences and the Department of Education's Office of Financial Student Aid. I think it's worth underscoring here that step one of evidence building can sometimes be you know, using the data you already have, or maybe in this case, we should say data that already exists, since you partnered with the Department of Education to link your data to theirs to get 
really important baseline facts about the situation. Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, I've grown fond of using administrative data um, as a starting point for evidence building. It's low cost. Um, and in many cases, it just means finding partners in other agencies that are willing to uh, share their data and actually kind of understand what the priorities you know, you have for using their data. And in many cases, um, there are shared priorities. So the interests that we have are very similar to the interests that they have in terms of learning from, you know, from their data and vice versa, them learning from our data. For sure. And I'm really glad you highlighted that strategy. The next step, Calvin, was uh, testing out some behaviorally informed low-cost interventions, as I understand it. Give us an overview, if you would, about what those were and how they were developed. So um, HUD, FSA, and the Office of Evaluation Sciences partnered to test several male interventions to increase the proportion of HUD-assistant youth who completed the FAFSA. So we randomly assigned youth to include full-time students ages 17 through 20 years old who were living in um, you know, HUD-assisted housing using a housing choice voucher, and they received one of nine mailings or no mailing at all. Specifically, what we wanted to do is we wanted to send out nine variations to test both the messenger and the format of the mailing. The messenger, in this case, um, was either the federal student aid office or the first lady, um, with one of the variants including a personal message from the first lady. This is the previous administration. This is Michelle Obama. Yes, this was yeah, first lady Michelle Obama. Um, and there were three formats that we tested. Um, we tested a standard letter a letter with a copy of the paper FAFSA stuffed in there with it, so it was actually included, and the third one was a postcard. Now, what we wanted to do is we wanted to understand the behavioral impediments, and so we included the paper FAFSA with the letter to allow us to understand whether um, having the FAFSA would actually encourage or promote the like immediate completion uh, for those without access to the internet. And so we were kind of leveraging insight from the behavioral literature. Now, the personal story from the First Lady was intended to motivate educational aspiration and, and reduce the anxiety low-income students may feel when thinking about college. And then the postcard presented information without requiring the recipient to open the envelopes. So the idea was to capture their attention when they open the mail. Now, the effect of the mailings were not large enough to say with confidence that they increased FAFSA completion. But there was suggestive evidence that some messengers and formats were more effective than others. That's really helpful. So none of those strategies moved the needle as much as you hoped for. Some of them did work better than others, including the message, I think, from First Lady Michelle Obama. Yes. The one from the First Lady worked better. And we also know that having the FAFSA form, the paper FAFSA form stuffed in with the letter also helped as well. So, Calvin, when we talk about this example from HUD as a process of testing, learning, and adapting, the learning here was really that those letters, those messages weren't enough to really turn the dial as much as you all needed to. So can you tell us what came next? Yeah, absolutely. So while we could not find effects that were large enough for us to say with confidence that it actually increased faster, just knowing that certain variations of the letter or the mailing made a difference, led us to say, well, what is it that the mailings just aren't capturing, right? And so that led us to more like intensive interventions. Specifically, uh, we started to 
frame out and design an intervention that included um, education navigators who would work with families so that we could see whether a much more intensive intervention would actually increase FAFSA completions. And so specifically, those navigators were uh, being hired to help students complete the FAFSA to actually improve their financial literacy and college readiness. They were also there to work with students to complete the post-secondary application. And then they helped students complete access necessary for, for enrollment. So for our listeners, uh, again, going back to test, learn, and adapt, this is the adapt, uh, trying out a more intensive intervention with these navigators, in other words, coaches. And what did you find? Yeah, so, so what we found is that the more intensive intervention um, did not produce um, the effects that we expected. And so we realized that we had to really look at, you know, what is it that um, we may have missed, right? And so I think that part of our challenge was that there are existing models or that there were existing relationships and models that housing authorities had already implemented and working with them to understand what was working, what was not working would have probably been a really good first step um, before making the award and kind of dropping our model on top of what it was they were already doing. So that was a lesson learned. And I think that, you know, next go around, one of the things we might do is we might want to think about a planning process prior to the actual uh, NOFA, so the Notice of Funding Announcement, so that we know what's out there, what folk are already doing. So, Kelvin, some disappointments, obviously, and I really appreciate your candor with us about it. Uh, but this is the nature of evidence building and of testing and learning and adapting. Not everything we test is going to work, and it really is a process of trying new things thoughtfully, innovating, etc. So a final question for you. What do you see as the next steps? Yeah, so I mean, so I think some of the natural next steps are um, working with housing authorities to ensure that they have supports needed so that they can implement models that they've identified as being effective. So we're going to continue to work with them and lend our support um, for different models that we think might be worth exploring. And we look forward to hearing about the next chapter down the road. Dr. Calvin Johnson from HUD. Calvin, thanks so much for being with us. Andy, thanks for having me.